WBBM East Lansing. No one defended us, not to mention the United States or the United Nations. Impact 88.9 is proud to present a special exposure series featuring two lost boys of Sudan. And so we came back to southern Sudan, and that's where we say God's grace. What's next? Hear their story as lost boys Jacob and David describe their journey from the jungles of Africa to Michigan State. They've made it through all these roadblocks to success, and, and they still have a tremendous amount of hope and faith in the future. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact, one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. After civil war hit southern Sudan, many boys of local villages began to flee their homes to find safety. These boys became known as the Lost Boys. David Zeng was eight years old when he left his village, and his neighbor, Jacob Atem, was six. After walking to Ethiopia, then back to Sudan, and then to Kenya, the boys found shelter at the Kakuma refugee camp more than five years after leaving their homes. Terry Walsh traveled to the camp as a consultant for the United Nations. This was a huge civil war, one of the uh, worst civil wars in terms of in terms of casualties in modern history. Um, the civil war lasted from 1983 until 2005 in southern Sudan. Over two million people were killed. It didn't get any, pretty much got no media exposure whatsoever um, until the Lost Boys started coming in 2000, 2001. So, um, you know, before that, all throughout the 80s and 90s, the U.S. pretty much ignored it. Um, and there's millions of people dying. Over 400, over 4 million people uprooted from southern Sudan from their homes due to this war, civil war that was going on. The consultants were in charge of interviewing thousands of the refugees for relocation to the United States, England, Canada, and other places in the world. After living through the harsh conditions of Sudan and Ethiopia, Jacob said Kenya's shortage of food, blazing heat, and terrible dust storms were just another obstacle he had to live through. A lot of people died, but it's one of those, why us? What make us out of those few? And maybe it could, we could have died like that. It's true. It could happen. But why us? Why us with the chosen few to come to America? When Jacob came to America, he was placed with a foster mother in Weberville, Michigan. He went to school and had to quickly adjust to life in the United States. When we came here, we dealt with so many cultural differences. You know, I barely speak English. I barely, when I went to, 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 to high school, kids were calling me name, N-word, all this stuff. It wasn't easy that we are now happy, but it takes time. But, you know, I wasn't highly welcome. We did not just blend in. We have our, our difficulties. So people ought to understand our life here in America was so challenging. Like I said, people calling us name, all this stuff. But what do you do? Do you fight? Well, in America, it's called jail. Or what do you do? Could you be um, more polite? I wish everybody was polite, but regardless of what, in every society, not everyone is going to welcome me. Terry said it wasn't uncommon for the Lost Boys to have a tough time adjusting to the American lifestyle. The thing that really strikes me is their resiliency, their ability to bounce back after after seeing all of these horrendous facts, um, their ability to continue to go to school, to continue to work, even though... They've been through hell, and now they are um, going through culture shock. They're going, you know, I've been on job sites where different people who are working with them made fun of them or laughed at them. I've seen the, the high schools that they've gone to. 
where kids are really, really mean to them. And uh, it's, it's really disappointing to see. But on the other hand, I've seen a lot more people be really friendly and welcoming to them. So I, I know they've all you know, suffered in, in one way or another. However, Jacob went on to make many friends in Weberville and graduated from high school, then went on to play soccer and study pre-med at Spring Arbor University. He is currently working towards his master's in public health at Michigan State University. He wants to go to medical school. When I was asked in the road, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. And that philosophy is carried on, honestly. My dream is still continual, even though it, t- it started uh, 10, 20, uh, 10, maybe 12 years ago. It's still continual. My honestly goal is going to be- become a uh, medical doctor at uh, Michigan State University. Now, um, maybe I'm a much closer than before when I'm in the refugee camp now than it is. So, really, it, it could come. I mean, you can't have to constantly have believe in yourself, put yourself, I can. And so with education, there's no excuses for any American. If you look at our life, like Terry say, we came through this tragedy. Uh, uh, we came to America. If we could go to college, if we could become a doctor, what can any American kids tell me to the excuses of not going to college? I mean, if you've been thinking of first year, please don't even drop out because college is, is rough. But I know, too, our life story is rough, but that does not give us excuses to say, oh, we're from the lost person and we cannot go to college, and college wasn't meant to be, you know? You ought to go to college because if we could do it, anybody can. David said it was difficult for him to adjust to many of the cultural differences. He was brought to the U.S. when he was over the age of 18, making him unable to receive foster care benefits. However, he did get help from the St. Vincent Home Catholic Charities. Terry said it was difficult for many of the boys who came over 18 to fit into the American education system. He said during their time in the Kakuma refugee camp, many of the boys tried to go to school where they were taught both Swahili and English. They definitely have challenges, and I think every refugee group has challenges when they come to the United States because um, oftentimes there's a language barrier, uh, there's a cultural barrier, Sometimes uh, the education system that they were coming from doesn't match with the education system here, so they may be, you know, kind of put back a little bit. Maybe their their age, they should be in a senior in high school, but their ability or their reading ability may be a freshman in high school. So they had all of those kind of strikes against them. David went on to complete high school and is now studying economics and international development at Michigan State University. David was granted citizenship to the United States last year. And they're given a lot of the same benefits a citizen would. I mean, of course, they don't have the right to vote. Um, they don't have all of the rights that a citizen would have. But they do have... Um, the ability to apply to be a green card holder. And this is assuming that they um, pass a test and pay a fee and do all the um, paperwork necessary um, with immigration. And so after they've been here a year, they're eligible to apply to be a permanent resident, or, or it's also known as being a green card holder. And then after they've been here for five years, they're eligible to take the citizenship test. So if they pass the citizenship test, um, and usually it takes more than five years because there's a backlog of cases, so it may take six or seven years. But they're eligible to become citizens after five years. However, not all of the lost boys had stories like Jacob and David. Some of them weren't able to finish high school. Others had an even more difficult time trying to fit in with society, Terry said. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes people, by the way they look, they judge them, and um, they've had run-ins with... You know, to be totally frank, they've had run-ins with the police and other people who have 
assumed um, that they're up to no good when they're just going about their business, you know, on their way to work or something. So it's disappointing. Um, but those are some of the, the challenges that they've had to work through. And overall, they're really coming out um, you know, in a really positive light, which is amazing, you know, having to go through all this and then and then sometimes being falsely accused or, or um, because of cultural misunderstandings. You know, I think of the movie Crash and um, other movies like that that really do a good job of kind of showing cultural misunderstandings. Um, um, those movies really do a good job of showing the ramifications when there's a cultural misunderstanding. And I've seen real-life examples of this. David said the suffering of the Lost Boys is an important story that has just begun to receive media attention. He said the conflict in Darfur is similar to the tragedy that happened in Sudan. In 2005, the South and the North had an agreement that ended the war. So, and that's when the war erupted again in Darfur. So there was no use of this militia, so the government took them to Darfur. And that's why you see all these atrocities in Darfur, uh, mass raping, killing, and all this. It is being carried out by this paramilitia uh, alongside the government. Troops. In an effort to help the people of their homeland, Jacob and David founded the Southern Sudan Healthcare Organization in March of 2008. The organization's mission is to make healthcare more accessible to the people of Southern Sudan. David said there were plenty of reasons that he wanted to get involved with creating the organization. The huge swamp area in Southern Sudan, in the middle of Sudan, where the Nile water I just spread into a very flat land. Um, many people were living in these areas because the government can go there uh, because it is a swampy area. It is uh, an area that is infested by uh, bacteria, diseases like mosquito, tissue uh, supply, um, and all the diseases that they cause, like uh, sleeping sickness, malaria. Uh, Yellow fever and all this. So this is an area where the government can go. So basically, during the war, um, people who didn't have the chances to play the war to neighboring countries uh, used to go and live in uh, in, uh, in in an environment that is not suitable for life. Um, for me and, and Jacob, uh, there was no communication team in the late 1980s until 2005. Uh, in 2005. When uh, a peace agreement came to Southern Sudan, uh, that's when my mom, um, my sister, and uh, uncle uh, came to Kenya. Uh, both of them were paralyzed by diseases. They were exhausted because they had been in the swampy area for uh, over 17 years without seeing a doctor or any treatment, uh, just living their life without uh, modern medicine. But unfortunately, my uncle well, was not able to make it when he went back to Sudan, but uh, he was okay. Finally, in Kenya, I, find I treated him, but uh, he couldn't make it because he was exhausted by disease. And uh, that is one reason that motivated us to start this non-profit organization to build a clinic over there. Because we know our people live over there in the time of Adam and Eve, so there's nothing at all. Jacob said they are currently working on raising funding for the organization so he can start education programs in his village. He also said he hopes to make a difference in the lives of the Sudanese residents through building an accessible clinic for all kinds of medical needs. But what, what about those people who, who cannot help themselves, like these stories of... My brother was saying somebody stabbed his wife. The closest hospital was three to four days walking. 
mean, could you imagine just literally on the blanket, you're bleeding or go up? Nowadays, it's two seconds. We have ambulance, EMTs, all these emergencies. So that's why we honestly wanted to build this clinic, and it's going to happen. Uh, I just don't know. It's just on God timing because we started right now uh, just collecting with a wristband that we sell. Uh, we encourage people to come up with a lot of ideas how to do fundraising and most importantly invited us to do uh, culture uh, I mean to do um, presentation and what I meant by that we're not just here to say they help us but what you are listening now if you understand where we came from you will understand why we want to do this. Today both Jacob and David reside in Oklahoma, Michigan and are working towards building a strong organization to serve the people of their homeland. And yes, we all lost boy by the difficulties here where it depends uh, how you go about here. It was a good thing but then it was a tough, tough road. If you would like more information, you can access the Southern Sudan Healthcare Organization's website at www.sshco.org. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and that was the final chapter to Impact Exposure's director, Lindsay Maycheck's story about the Lost Boards of Sudan. And now in the studio, I have Nick and Courtney from the Public Relations Student Society of America to talk about their upcoming event on Thursday to support a smoke-free Michigan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your organization and the event that you're putting on on Thursday? Sure, PRSSA, uh, like you said, is a public relations student group on campus. And we're part of a national organization. There's more than 300 chapters across the country at all of these um, great universities. And we're also part of a professional organization, too. So it's a great organization for anyone interested in the communications and public relations field. And our event on Thursday at the Rack is in conjunction with the Campaign for Smoke-Free Air. So we are going to... Um, we're encouraging students to come out to show their support to um, prohibit smoking in bars and restaurants. Okay. So tell me a little bit about this bill. Are, have other states passed this bill? There's 35 other states that are currently smoke-free, and they allow no smoking in any place of business. So when was, do you know when the first state passed this bill? Mm-hmm. A couple of, you know, it was a couple of years ago, and ever since then, it's just been this trickle-down effect where more and more states are seeing that it's really important to have smoking, comp- comprehensive smoking legislation um, in all these different states. So, you know, there's different reports and studies showing that there's no economic impact on the bars and restaurants that do not allow smoking. So it's just people are seeing the positive benefits of it and they're seeing that it really is important to have. So you said that 35 states have already passed this bill. And I noticed on campus, now the dorms, there's no smoking on any floors in the dorms, and some restaurants have picked up this no smoking policy in some bars and restaurants. Um, so why why do you think it's taken um, Michigan so long to be able to pass this bill? Well, the Campaign for Smoke-Free Air has done surveys, and about 63% of residents do want this legislation to be passed, which is about two-thirds of the state that's in favor for a smoke comprehensive smoke-free legislation. Um, most, I would say, a lot of the um, resistance is coming from the casinos in Detroit. And why is that? They're afraid of the, it will hurt them economically, but um, casinos in all other states and in Canada haven't been affected negatively. Okay. 
So tell me a little bit about this event. What will happen at your event on Thursday? We're going to have two um, blown-up letters, one to a representative and one to a senator, and they're going to just um, explain that Michigan State students are concerned about um, having a healthy environment, and that's something that we want in our hometowns and at school. So students who do support this legislation will be able to sign it, and we're going to drop them off at the Capitol just to tell them that the community of Michigan State is in support of the smoke-free legislation. And it also shows that, you know, we're really supporting that, you know, there shouldn't be smoking in any type of employment, whether you're working in a bar, working for your, whether you're working for a big company. It's important to work in a healthy environment, and that's what this campaign is about. It's not about, you know, limiting people's rights. We really want to make sure that everyone has the healthy right to work. Yeah, it's just not fair that people have to go to work to support themselves and their subjecting their health to that and coming home and developing cancers and other diseases that they're just trying to make a living off of. So what types of things have you guys done to prepare for this event to get yourself educated? I think before you guys came into the, the studio, I was talking uh, to Nick outside about how you went to visit Chicago. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Actually, um, I'm going to be interning for a company out in Chicago over the summer. And um, I went out with my brother a couple nights, and, you know, at one of the bars, it was just so nice to go out, you know, have a drink or two and just enjoy the atmosphere without it, you know, coming out of there coughing, just reeking of smoke. So, and actually, my involvement with the campaign started at my last internship. I worked in a company over Lansing that's working with this campaign. So I got experience about how important it is, you know, to make Michigan air smoke-free. And that's um, how it kind of came to our organization. And we started this campaign, and Corporate Courtney's been heading up all the projects on it. So we've basically just been researching um, the statistics and that, you know, there's no economic harm, which I think a lot of people are afraid of in Michigan, especially with how the economy is right now. So, and we've been reaching out to um, smoke-free bars and restaurants and asking for their support, just getting the word out to students and letting them know that they have a voice in this. So why, as an organization, the Public Relations Student Society of America and the MSC chapter decided to choose this topic to focus on? Um, I think that we generally choose campaigns that benefit either Michigan State or the local Lansing community. We're really big Lansing advocates, and I think we just want to pick things that are going to make Lansing and Michigan a better and healthier place. And also, like, this is such a great opportunity for our members to participate, and they're getting real-world public relations experience working on this campaign. So that's been really helpful for us, but we're also doing something that's really going to improve Michigan down the line, and we're really proud of that. So, I mean, why do you think it's really important to um, have a, a smoke-free Michigan? I just think, I mean, other states who have already implemented this um, legislation, their air quality improves, uh, their businesses improve, their businesses like tax revenues increase, there's more job opportunities um, that open up, and that's something that the state of New York saw right after the ban took them or the legislation went through. So I think that's something where... A lot of businesses are just using scare tactics, but in the long run, it really improve Michigan and give more job opportunities and while improving the health of employees and residents. Can you talk a little bit about um, how New York benefits from it? They saw increases in their tax receipts and um, a, quite an increase in job opportunities. Okay. And the bottom line is that all Michigan residents deserve to have a place to access smoke-free air, plain and simple. And that's just, you know, that's just such an important part of, you know, just having a healthy working environment.
So when, when will this event be and where is it located and what can people expect to see at the event? Um, the event is on Thursday um, at the Rock and next to the auditorium. Uh, the Rock will be painted and there will be students out there. They can hang out and just show their support. Uh, we're going to have the letters and a couple things from different restaurants with their specials and just being able to let students know what um, restaurants and bars in the area are smoke-free so that they can frequent those places since a lot of them are newly smoke-free. And we'll be there from 9 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Um, so, and we're just hoping to grab people in between classes, tell them that the legislation is so close to passing and their support really can make a difference. When do you think the legislation will pass? Well, it's in conference committees now, mm -hmm. and um, we expect the bill to be reintroduced, and we expect more support showing from both the House and the Senate. And Governor Granholm has said she would sign a smoking ban in Michigan, so we're really excited if that actually would get to her, that it would pass. And they've been having pretty frequent hearings. I know there's another hearing at the Capitol tomorrow. Okay. So are there any other events that are coming up um, through the Public Relations Student Society of America that people can work out for? Yep. Part of our organization is we want to give our members good experience and make sure that they know everything about public relations. So next week we're doing a case study competition where we have a local public relations firm coming in to bring a problem that they have with one of their clients. We're going to break out into different groups and then they're going to present it to the to the local PR firm so they'll get really good experience about public relations. And other than that, we're just wrapping the year up. We've been all over the country so far. We've been to Detroit for a conference, New Orleans, Chicago. Next year, we're going to San Diego, um, Charlotte. And it's just, we do so much traveling, and it's just such a great organization. Well, great. Um, thank you again for coming on the show again. I was talking to Nick and Courtney from the Public Relations Student Society of America. Thanks very much for coming on the show. And again, the event is Thursday at The Rock. And to support a smoke-free Michigan. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're looking to exposure on 849 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. The public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Air Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday night from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the Cultural Vibes to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Oh, yeah. Impact You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily. In the studio, I have two representatives from Peace Over Prejudice. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. My name is Moira Rizak. I am a senior, and I'm the co-founder and organizer of the Peace Over Prejudice campaign at Michigan State University. My name is John Ra. I am the creative director for Peace Over Prejudice. Um, I've, I've just been around from the beginning. So tell me a little bit about your group how did you, and how did you, you started. Uh, well, 
The Peace Over Prejudice campaign is a coalition of different students and organizations at MSU who basically believe in promoting uh, inclusive and a respectful campus. Um, you know, through dialogue and service and intergroup collaborations on issues such as social justice. Um, the group was started in fall of 2007. Um, it was basically, when it first started, uh, it was me and the other co-founder, Nada Zofi, and we just felt, you know, that, um, well, actually, initially, it started as an idea for a week. But after thinking about it a lot more, we just decided, you know, that the idea of promoting positive ideals is something that you cannot contain within a week, and that it should be something that should last longer. Uh, so that's where the idea came from, and, you know, we found a lot of like-minded people, such as John, um, and, you know, people like that came on board, and that's where it took flight. What, what types of things have you done so far? Is it mostly just discussions, or is it events, or is it meetings? Um, so far we have done things such as um, basically just gathering people together, um, gathering different organizations together um, that usually wouldn't come together. Um, for example, last year we had the Muslims uh, organization with the Jewish organizations come together. Uh, we have high hopes such as you know rival fraternities coming together. Um, mm -hmm. we, have, we have done events such as um, Tunnel Oppression. Mm -hmm. and for example, the event that he was talking about, the MSA, which is a Muslim Student Association, um, we had an event um, called Islamophobia and Anti-Semitism. So, you know, it brought two, um, two big issues, um, you know, prejudice against two different religious groups, and we had speakers who came in and talked about uh, both of the issues. So it was, you know, that kind of an event that brought two different types of but similar topics. Um, for example, Time of Oppression, which will be occurring again this year, was uh, it's a unique theatrical um, event written and acted out by students. So it's kind of like a haunted house. So, you know, people go through a supposed tunnel, except, um, you know, rather than seeing like horrific, you know, monster-like uh, depictions, they see basically uh, like depictions of real life um, examples of prejudice and oppression. Okay. And when, is, when was that? That was last spring. Um, that's when we, uh, had, we did it the first time. It was in collaboration with the Coalition of Indian Undergraduate Students. Mm -hmm. And it will be occurring again this, um, this coming week as part of Peace Week. Okay. Talk a little bit about Peace Week. Okay, uh, Peace Week is something that's been in the works for some time, um, and Peace Week this year, it, it will be our first time, it will be occurring, um, it will it'll have two parts, sort of, uh, even though it's supposed to be one week, but it will have two parts, and it will be beginning April 6th, which I believe is next Monday. Um, so we've got three events for that week, and then the following week we've got three events planned for that. Uh, Monday we'll just uh, be at the Rock, you know, passing out information about conflicts around the world and why peace is important. You know, and so um, it will be very informal, you know, people just passing by, and we'll have, you know, giveaways, and we'll have more information about Peace Week and what the group is. Um, then the Tuesday we're having a documentary showing. Uh, and that it will cover a couple different topics, such as human rights, 
um, the global food crisis and the global health pandemic. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, Wednesday is the time of oppression. Uh, we have been waiting for it uh, for a whole year, and it's going to be better than last year's. So it's very successful. So, yeah. Um, so it, it will have three showings this year. Um, Six fifteen, I believe. Seven thirty and eight o'clock. Um, I'm sorry. Six thirty, seven fifteen, eight o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about Peace Week. Is this something that MSU students started, or is this an, a nationwide event? Well, hopefully, it's, it's right now it's just for MSU. Um, Hopefully, we can encourage um, neighboring universities, maybe, or neighboring, um, actually, anybody. Um, if, if we can, I mean, our hope is to make this thing as big as possible because we love encouraging peace. We love inspiring other people to encourage other people to um, have the same passion for peace. And is Peace Week something that just peace or prejudice is putting together, or is it many groups on campus? The idea did come out from um, Peace Over Prejudice, but like I said, it is a coalition of different student groups, so a lot of the people that are on the board represent a whole bunch of different groups. Um, so, for example, Tunnel Oppression is helped by um, CIUS, which is the Coalition of Indian Undergraduate Students. Um, we are planning on, uh, for one of the days, we are planning on doing a community service that hopefully will um, encourage many different organizations to come together that never really met before. Mm -hmm. And the people who are working on the community service event, for example, are um, representatives of JSU and MSA. Um, for example, one of the photo exhibits we're trying to do um, that is worked on by representatives of the Biosciences Association and students for um, international development. So a lot of these events, it's not just pop that's doing it. It is a whole bunch of different people who are working on it. Okay. So why did you guys get involved in this group? Uh, well, personally, why did I get involved? Um, why did I found or find yeah. the group? was because initially when the idea came along, um, Nabai and I, who was the co-founder with me, who could not be here today, unfortunately, um, we just felt that at the time, the environment on campus um, had too much of negative dialogue going on, and we felt that we couldn't find, at least we couldn't find dialogue um, that promoted positive ideals. So, you know, that's where the idea came from during the week, but then we realized that, no, this is something that should last longer. And um, that's when we started getting people on board. Um, and we just realized that it is very important to create a network for people to come and um, have open dialogue about issues because that is one of the things we try to do is create dialogue between groups, you know, that would otherwise be hostile towards each other or would not meet with each other. So we want to create that kind of a forum for groups to feel comfortable in. Okay. Well, um, you have many events coming up for Peace Week for Start April 6. Is there any place that people can go for more information? Um, yep. Um, our website and our Facebook group are constantly being updated um, for the Peace Week. And another really, really amazing, amazing um, event you can call that 
I'm really excited about. It's called the Peace Over. No, I'm sorry. The yeah. Creative Peace yeah. Contest. It's an art contest, and John. Um, uh, creative Creative Peace Contest is um, it's just some things that you know. I'm, we're not really targeting our students. We're targeting anybody who um, has wants to use their creative outlets because I, I believe so many people have creative talents that they never really use because they, you know, they're involved with different majors. And I, I was personally inspired by the Obama campaign because he was a symbol for hope and change. And um, I'm trying to bring that to MSU, actually MSU, U of M, and LCC, um, so that people, because I, I believe um, a lot of people have passion for peace, they just don't really know how to maybe use it, but this is a good opportunity for people to use a creative outlet to uh, interpret their own piece of a prejudice uh, in, in any medium possible, which includes anything from, you know, just painting to dance to cooking to, like, anything you want, so. Yeah, so it's a pretty inclusive kind of a contest. I mean, we're teaching food, art, as well, you yeah. know. And um, actually, John is the one who came up with the idea um, actually last year. So, you know, we're finally we're really glad that we finally got it going. Um, and just one other thing about this is that we're really, really interested in hearing about people's, uh, people's own interpretation of, you know, the very abstract idea of peace over prejudice. So this, you know, this is one of those things. And another concept that I know John touched on before was even though we started this group on campus at MSU, we really believe that this campaign, which we hope will, you know, will, will yeah, it will grow and it will, um, you know, basically uh, expand in other campuses and just other in, um, communities as well. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Again, there's um, Peace Week that's coming out April 6th that you guys are putting on. And again, for those that are just tuning in, I'm here with student representatives from Peace Over Prejudice at Michigan State University. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Oh, you can add one more thing? One more thing. And um, if anybody wants more information, you know, uh, we put up, uh, like I said, we constantly update our website, which is www.popmsu.com, and our Facebook group, um, which is easily accessible on to anybody who's on Facebook. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Exposure only on 89FM, The Impact. Impact 89FM presents How to Deal with a One-Night Stand. Hi. Hi. Did we, um, yeah, I think so. So, well, how was I? In this situation, think about sit or spin. Would you want to do it again, or would you rather forget it ever happened? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, what was your name again? The boy slapped him across the face and then throw his phone on the ground. Think about the afterglow. Think about that relaxing song that always seems to calm you down and try your hardest not to beat him up. It doesn't really matter. I'm just, I'm just going to go. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. We're having another party next week. You want to come? This is just like the gas list. If you don't like what you hear, then make your own playlist. Don't make the same mistake again. Have your own party and make sure he is not on the list. No, that's okay. I just remember that I, uh, um, you know, have a life. Okay, check you later. Impact Sunday night kicks off with a guest list from 6 to 8 and sit or spin from 8 to 10 and the afterglow from 10 to midnight. It's six hours of radio and listening to you. The Impact.
You're listening to 89FM Exposure. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now back to Exposure. You tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily. Here in the studio, I have Rob Perry, um, who's going to talk about his DJ experience in the Lansing community. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going, Emily? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. So tell me about your DJing experience in Lansing. Um, well, I've been DJing for about two years now, but I just started to DJ live, like at events, out at bars and clubs uh, last year, towards the end of 2008. I started DJing at Max Bar on Tuesday nights, and I've been DJing there every Tuesday night since last fall. And I've DJed a few other um, events locally at Club Excel, and I just started a new night at Spiral as well, which is going to take place every other Thursday night. It's called Switch Lansing. And I DJ mostly electronic, well, all electronic music, house, techno, tech house, that kind of stuff, uh, maybe a little trance as well. So, How did you get involved in DJing? Uh, I've been a fan of electronic dance music for a while, and since I was early on in high school, I had just, I'd been going to a lot of events, and I was influenced by Detroit, the Detroit Electronic Music Festival every year, and seeing DJs and acts there, and I, I just loved the music for like a really long time. And once I had uh, enough money to purchase my own equipment, when I when I graduated high school, I purchased it and just practiced for a really long time until I considered myself good enough. And then, you know, approached different um, owners of bars and stuff. And that, you know, that's when Max started last last fall. So and then I've just kind of been it's kind of been snowballing since then. It's been it's been really fun. I've been really busy with everything. So is this something that you want to do as a career? Ideally, yes, I would like to do this as a career. I want to get into producing my own music as well. I haven't started that yet. Um, I've been pretty busy with DJing and, and school as I'm a student here as well at MSU. So ideally, yes, I would like to pursue it as a career. Um, you know, a lot of people tell me that's not the greatest idea, you know, but I mean, it's it's one of my sole passions in life, and, and I love the music so much, I would really, really enjoy to do that as a career, yeah. What's your major here? Communication. I just switched to communication from James Madison. Okay. So, so from law and all that political Yeah, stuff. all that, DJ yeah. by night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's, what's your play, favorite venue to um, DJ at in the Lansing area? Uh, I got to go with Spiral. Like, Max Bar and Spiral both phenomenal places to play. Um... Both really down to earth, cool vibes. Um, obviously, the music is always great, and the nights that I'm going to, because I love electronic music. Um, Spiral's got the best sound system in the area, the best lighting setup. It's got the bigger dance floor. It's got a great setup in the bar area as well. It's like real down to earth. You can hang out at the bar and lounge, or go on a dance floor, and you know have fun. Max is also really fun because it's a small place, great sound, but not as big of a dance floor. It's, you know, like everyone knows everybody there. Every Tuesday you go and it's like, hey, what's up? You know, we have six DJs that play there, so it's shorter sets, but it's like a close-knit community every Tuesday there, and it's always fun. So those two places, um, those are the places I've played regularly. 
and I've played a few other places locally and in the Detroit area as well. But yeah, I, I love playing at those two venues, definitely. What intrigues you about DJing? Um, I'd say obviously the music got me into it initially, just listening to different artists. Initially, I was really into like the Prodigy, the Chemical Brothers, stuff like that, and even in middle school. And then I progressed to listening to actual DJs and you know sets on the radio and stuff like that, like guys like Tiesto and, and big name artists like that. So the music initially, but I mean once I started um, playing it and actually had my own equipment too, like there's really so much that goes behind it, memorizing the songs, the structure of the songs, what's going to sound good together constructing a set, reading the crowd when you're playing live, um, all, all that different kind of stuff, like, you know, one venue, uh, say at Max, I'll play, I'll play different stuff at Max and at Spiral, and I go to a place in Detroit, like, it could always be completely different, like, you really have to read the crowd and kind of know your atmosphere, and, like, there's just so much goes that goes into it, aside from this, you know, hitting play and, and playing a, a CD or a record, so, like, it's, I don't know, it's, I love the music, but there's so much that goes uh, beyond that, like, with the structure and, like, I don't know, emotionally being up on stage and everything, too, like, it's just so much fun, I guess. So, so you're talking about practicing. I mean, how do you mm. practice to be a DJ? Well, there are different ways. I know a lot of guys uh, up at Max, too, a lot of guys use laptops. And so sometimes you can just use a program on the laptop, and it's a little bit easier to get used to, but... For me, I started out on CDs, or, and it's the same if you're using vinyl. And basically, the the first skill that you have to master is beat matching. And so, say you have one song that's at like 128 beats per minute, and one song that's at 125. You have to, and you can switch, uh, if you're playing on vinyl or CDs, you can switch the speed faster or slower. So what you have to do is, what, what I do, there are different techniques, but you have, you know, a, a boost monitor, a speaker that you're listening to out of one ear uh, that's playing the live song, and then you have the other song that you've queued up and listening to in your headphones, and so you have to listen to the song and the speaker while you that's playing live while you're listening to the song that you're going to play next in your headphones and get them matched, like, beat matched perfectly with the bass and the hi-hats and all that, so when you transition between them, Ideally, it's seamless. It's not always like that, but ideally, it's seamless, and so the crowd, you know, doesn't know that you're transitioning between songs. That's that's the hope. So it took me really a year to get good at beat matching, and beat matching is a skill aside from being able to mix songs well. Like even just over the past three or four months, I've really paid more attention to you know like structure of songs and different sounds and what's going to sound good coming in from one song going to the next uh, and you know I've only been doing it for almost two years or so and I still have still have so much to learn like it's kind of a never-ending process of educating yourself with the music so that's another reason why it's so fun too but yeah that's that's the hardest thing I guess getting used to you know matching the two songs beats together so when you're mixing the next song and it's seamless and sounds good. So when did electronic music or DJing like you do now start? Um, well, Detroit is actually known. Uh, I grew up in Royal Oak, which is right out the suburb of the suburb of Detroit. Detroit is known in like the late '80s, early '90s to be the home of techno, and a lot of misconceptions about what techno music is. Like you'll hear, you know, poppy Eurodance on the radio, like Cascada or something like that, and be like, oh, you know. 
and stuff, stuff like that gets techno a bad name, I guess, sometimes, but that's, like, if you go to the Detroit Electronic Music Festival on Memorial Day weekend, like, you really hear what Detroit techno is all about, and it started, you know, like I said, like, in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm not positive, um, guys like Kevin Saunderson and, and Derek May and Juan Atkins really got it popular, and uh, that's where techno was, was uh, oriented in Detroit, and so... <laughs> Well, I guess I guess even back into the seventies and stuff, you had, had DJs at disco. I know a friend of mine, Moses, uh, you know, has, has a lot of influence in that and his DJ sets. So I know even back to then. But um, aside from that, I know I know Europe has a completely different background with electronic music as well and, and DJing. But I guess I don't know, you know, the whole history. I'm sure there's a lot more behind that. But I know that. Especially being in Michigan, the Detroit, um, um, the Detroit scene and Detroit techno like really has an influence. Even though a lot of people don't really know what techno really is, like techno versus house versus trance versus progressive and stuff like that versus dubstep and breaks, like um, yeah, that's I'd say I'd say. Detroit has, has the biggest influence kind of where DJing came from, at least in this area. So, so talk a little, keeping us PJ13, talk a little bit about the Detroit Electronic Music Festival. What is that like? Um, I don't know. I'd say, you know, last year they had, I want to say they had maybe 50,000 people, more or less, something like that. But it's extremely fun. You have international artists, local artists. Um, people come from all over the world to come come to the festival, people in this area in Michigan really don't know, a lot of people don't kind of, um, I guess, respect really what it means and, and what this, the music's all about, or kind of not respect it, but know what it's all about, like really know how important Detroit is to electronic music, but uh, I don't know, it's in Hart Plaza, and there are a bunch of different stages, and it's just, it's from mid, uh, noon to midnight, and you just got DJs and, and different live acts playing all day long, and it and it's always packed ever since I've been there, since going the past four or five years maybe. And it's just like everyone's having a good time and, and listening to the music, and it's high energy at some times and some stages and low energy others. You're just hanging out, but uh, you're right on the river, like so, and it, and the weather's just warming up Memorial Day weekend, so it's it's a great time. I mean, anyone that has a chance to go, I would definitely suggest going like that. That had a huge influence on me personally. So. I mean, how does the Lansing area, I guess, um, measure up as far as the electronic scene here? Um, I'd say back in, I have some friends that DJed back in the day, like 2001, 2003, and it was really popular back then. They, like I mentioned, Spiral, Thursday nights back then were very popular. And now we're just like, like I was telling you before we went on air, it was kind of just a resurgence recently of DJs and music. Um, and the scene's completely different. There, there are different scenes in and of itself in Detroit, like you have the techno scene versus more of like that progressive house, maybe trance scene as well. And there's uh, two, kind of two different crowds that go to those kind of events. But Lansing, uh, it's much smaller. It's not nearly as popular, which we're trying to work on. And anyone out there listening now should, um, if you love electronic music, definitely uh, listen up. But um, 
I mean, it's, it's the music is different. Like a lot of the stuff, there's a lot of electro house from what I've um, from what I've heard. Max on Tuesday nights, I'll play a lot of more housey stuff, <laughs> and it sometimes will come off maybe as not as high energy as a lot of the electro other the um, other DJs are playing there. And, and even at Spyro before I started Switch Lansing. Um, which is every other Thursday. The other Thursdays, it's still I Heart Electro Thursdays, so um, Electro is like a much harder, bass-oriented, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd have to listen to it. Um, I can't really explain it with words, but so there's a lot of that influence in the scene up here from what I've, from what I've seen. Um, much, you know, techno's not that popular, really, in like the Detroit techno sound, not as popular house, progressive house and electro house I guess I guess mostly so you know and there's definitely a place for that in Detroit too but Detroit kind of like I said kind of has two different scenes with the techno and more of the uh, house I suppose so, so you, you've mentioned a lot about this word house describe mm-hmm. that and what that is in the electronic music scene um uh, like I said it's really hard to explain with words um was it your favorite house is yeah I a lot of people probably don't know the genres I speak of when I get more detailed, but progressive house is probably my m- most favorite genre. Um, but yeah, house music, it's like techno is more, you know, techy, I guess. It's like more minimal, uh, maybe less complex, like kind of darker and deeper sometimes. House, house, like genuine house music, like you think of like Chicago, um, like funky vocals and stuff like that. I don't spend a lot of that. That's that's why I say I like progressive house more. It's uh, it's kind of got trance, a little bit of trance, like infused into house a little bit. I guess I never really thought of it that way, but that's probably um, where the sound where the sound kind of comes from. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to explain. You kind of have to you kind of have to listen to it in in order to really get a feel get a feel for what it is. So. All right. Well, um, so tell me again when you DJ and where you DJ. I DJ at Max Bar every Tuesday uh, for me on Tuesdays. Uh, like I said, I just started up the every other Thursday night at Spiral, which we have going on this Thursday with uh, Detroit DJ Sharif and Tezan Traska. And then the next two, thir- the next two weeks from then, me and then uh, two weeks after that, me and Sean Michaels, who's another DJ from Detroit. So we have those going on, and a Saturday at Max too. We do one Saturday a month um, within with the Tuesday night DJs, which is Saturday, April 18th. I'm pretty positive uh, at Max Bar, and also I'll be DJing in the Metro Detroit area in Ferndale this Saturday at a new place called Nove Lounge with Blake Jarrell. I'm going to be doing the opening set for him, a DJ from Chicago who's on uh, Sign With Armada Music and has toured with Armin Van Buren. For anyone listening who knows that is, so if you're in the metro area, even for the game, students and fans from Lansing, uh, come and check it out. It's in downtown Ferndale. All right, well, thank you very much again for people who are just tuning in us, talking to Rob Perry, who's educating us about DJing and the electronic music scene. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to Exposure, only on 88.9 EMAC.
Why do I care about drunk driving? Because there's an estimated 13,000 alcohol-related fatalities in 2007. Why do I care about drunk driving? Because we have the ability to reduce and possibly even end. Why do I care about drunk driving? Because during 2006, a person was killed every 30 minutes in a drunk driving collision. Why do we care about drunk driving? Because it's an issue that nobody should have to deal with. Please think of your actions before you put others, as well as your own life, at risk. Blues are going to hit you real hard every Wednesday night on the Impact. Satisfy your Blues Jones every Wednesday night from 8 p.m. till midnight on the Accidental Blues with me, Big Ben. Awesome. Join me for all your favorite standards, some hot new tracks, local artists, interviews, in-studio performances, and everything in between. Albert, tell him the only rule. Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. <laughs> Accents have never sounded this good. So tune into the Impact Wednesday night to catch your case of the blues. Your source for the blues. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, the Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily. And here in the studio, I have the newest acapella group on campus called Well Noted. And the founder slash president, Mike, would you like to introduce you first? Uh, yes, please. Uh, my name is Mike Hilliker. I'm a member of Well Noted. I'm one of the co-presidents. Uh, we are the newest co acapella group on campus. Um, we're going to be singing Love Story for you now, a song originally done by Taylor Swift with Chelsea on the solo. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Thank you. 